All right, let's start this countdown, guys. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Wow. Hello, everybody. We're here for the final installment of my top 100 games of all time. Today, we're going to be counting down the top 20, the 20 best games ever made that I have played. I'm sure there are other ones that would fit here, but I haven't played them yet. Here with me today, we have Orion. Hello. And we have Matt. Hello. This may be the last podcast Orion's on for a while. It's possible. Well, no, you'll probably be on next week, right? I'll probably be on the next one or two. And then... But this is towards the end. Yeah, yeah, you're going to travel the world. I guess we could just Skype you in. Yes, like you have for many other people. Yeah. Last one in person for a while. Once you've played Europe's best board games, then we'll have a special... Yeah. Um, I will be a true Eurogamer. It'll be a true Eurogamer. We'll have a Eurogame special. I will have played games in Europe. Yeah, you're going to be our foreign correspondent. Yeah. Finding will, all the best board games around the world. I will tell you about uh, the UK gaming scene. Yeah. I will report on uh, Spiel Essen. Nice. And who knows what else. All kinds of things. Maybe That's I will be go exciting. to... Oh, the, the castle thing. Oh, yeah. I'm going to play games in a castle for a weekend. It'll be great. I feel like... So that's... For, what is it? Europa Universalis? Yeah. They're going to bust it's, in. It's like, a computer game. Yeah. But the physical nature of playing in a ta- in a castle. Yeah. It averages out to about a board game. So <laughs> you, can, you can report on that. That it's sounds also, awesome. Pr- as far as video games go, it's on more of the board game side of video games. Yeah. Even yeah, if sure. you would never actually want to play that game on a table because it would be way too fiddly. But yeah. that's beside the point. It's going to be awesome. Maybe I'll go to Stockholm and play the original Universalis, which was Ooh. a board game from like 40 years ago. Or, or maybe you'll you'll get to play the new one they're doing. Oh, yeah. They're making all these new board games. Paradox. You should definitely give them the business card and be like, hey, we like board games. Yeah. I heard you're making board maybe games now. Maybe they'll also hire me to make video games while I'm at it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, so we got the top 20. I've shared some stats before. As I said, I believe last time, this is the heaviest, in terms of Board Game Geek weight ratings, the heaviest group. The average weight is a 3.46, which is solidly above medium weight on average. There are all but four of these top 20 are in the Board Game Geek top 100 which shows that i'm not particularly original all but four all but four all right all right are in the top 100 or the top 100 as of like two months ago okay and seven of them are in the top 20 on board game geek okay so okay you're looking for highly with the masses yeah if you're looking for highly original opinions here i i apologize but 13 of them aren't there you go 13 of them are not the average rating of Board Game Geek is an 8.11, which is quite high. And the biggest disappointment of the night is that you do not have a pile of games next to you to show us these great games. These, a, a lot of these games are heavy physically as well as mechanically. And we have Gloomhaven Table, the, the disease afflicting board gamers across the nation, 
where Gloomhaven doesn't leave you, leave your table for weeks. You know, Gloomhaven hasn't been on your top hundred yet. No, it hasn't. Not yet. Could it make an appearance <laughs> in the top twenty? We'll find out. Let's start with number twenty. A classic game I have loved for years and years and years. One of the first modern board games that I've played, or that I played back in college. Any guesses? At number 20? This is too soon for Dominion. Yeah, it's, I know, let's see, it's not, um, it's not Catan. Ticket Ride has already happened. It's not Carcassonne. We've already done Power Grid. We've already done Power Grid. Dominion it's before only, all that. Dominion is the only one that jumps to mind, but I, I might have I might have played this before no. Dominion. Scrabble's already been on the list. Yeah, it is the classic drafting game Seven Wonders. Ah, oh really? You played okay. this in college? Yeah, huh. I was introduced to it. I believe summer break between between freshman and sophomore year. I think was that your fee summer? No, oh. it was before that. It's still a great game. I love it. By this point, it's one of those modern classics. So many people have played it. I think it works at pretty much every player count. Like, I think even three players, seven wonders, in some ways is actually a lot more interesting because both people are your neighbors. But the cool thing about the game is that it still takes about the same amount of time, even if you go all the way up to seven I love the expansions we have. I haven't played some of the new ones, but I think Cities in particular is a is a great expansion once you've kind of gotten the hang of the of the base game. And Leaders is pretty fun also. Leaders adds all the black cards and the, a lot of the stealing and No, that's Cities. Oh, that's Cities. Okay. Leaders adds the just the leader. Oh, just the leaders. The leaders okay. basically. I think drafting games inherently work for like ranges of players. Because this is just a game where you can keep playing and find that depth, but it's not that hard to play. It's not an easy game to learn because there's so many icons, but once you get it, you're not going to really forget the game, and the icons do make sense. You can intuit a lot of them. But the the level of strategy, strategy, I think, is just in that sweet spot of like everyone has an interesting decision all the time, and then at the end of the game, you kind of look back and be like, okay here's where the decisions you know gave me lots of points and i was able to kind of snowball my early decisions into later ones or here's where i messed up and i got you know too tight on resources or something it's just pleasant to play and it it just has enough to work for me every time without being kind of over complicated my main comparison to this game is sushi go which isn't really fair because sushi go is so much lighter but one thing i really love about Seven Wonders is is just like how different each category of card plays, and it just it, it just all fits together in a great system. Yeah, I don't have much bad to say yeah. about this. It's so good. I want to like this game less than I do. <laughs> it, it's just, it's it's a fun game. I got to play this a couple weeks ago in Pittsburgh. It was a drafting day, actually. Oh, nice! What you played, do? Uh, we played Seven Wonders. Okay. And then we did a, a magic draft. The new um, oh, joke set fun, fun. So that was a good day. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's where drafting, I think, really started. Was with magic, actually. Mm-hmm. That was the inspiration for a lot of these modern drafting games because you had magic drafts. Anyways, that's number twenty-seven wonders. Number 19, a game brand new to the list. There's six brand new games in these top 20 that were not on the list at all last year. All right. Because I hadn't played them. 
Number 19, a game that I immediately fell in love with like 15 minutes into our first game, and that is Concordia. Oh, yeah. A very very kind of dull-looking game, but one that has really, really interesting and cool mechanisms that keep the game very tight, where literally every decision from the very first one matters, and you feel how that matters, and it has a a good amount of interactivity. It's kind of a little deck builder thing. And you want to try to plan out and play all the cards you have before, or a lot of the cards you have before playing the one that gives you your discard pile back. Cause that'll give you money. It's got that cool card that'll let you just copy what someone else just played on their turn. Yeah. The map aspect of it, of trying to really economize where you're going to be putting your little houses that help with production and the so cool thing about with the power grid kind of kind of yeah a little bit i don't know i i think the, yeah because you want to get this places first or else they get more expensive right. that's, that's yeah. the part where it yeah. feels like power grid to me the area control is really good while being less brutal than a game like power grid i don't know about that i think it's equally it can be equally brutal. I've been really locked out of places and had to reevaluate everything. I think one of the most interesting things is initial player count heavily impacts your strategy. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, initial player order heavily oh, impacts yeah. your strategy because certain moves will just be blocked for from you the first turn if you go if you go third out of 3 or you know fourth out of 4 or something. You just can't move your settlers initially because there's nowhere to go. I've only ever played the one map. I know that there are at least two maps. Have you guys played? I think I've played both. Yeah, yeah. There's the whole Europe one, and then there's the uh, the Italy one, Italy specific one. Yeah, Yeah. for smaller player counts. Yeah, I think it's like two to four versus three to five or something. Yeah, so there's over. I don't know for for a game. It only the other one takes away like one region and two spots basically. Yeah. For a game that's just about kind of expanding and then collecting resources and then selling things, it feels so unique. And, the, and I think that's really due to the, the deck building action mechanisms. I think it's that. And I think it's also a lot of very, very subtle things with what the different resources are used for. It's a game where you constantly think that you need a resource in order to produce that resource. So like to build in a particular resource area, you need to have that resource to begin with, but you can't directly produce that resource unless you have buildings in that resource area. So you have to do like trading and other ways to gather that resource. And it takes a long time. So you're always in this kind of puzzle state where you're trying to, get something that's very difficult to get directly. And so you have to work out all these other secondary ways of getting it. Yeah, it kind of forces you into suboptimal moves or, yeah, suboptimal moves in order to build your engine. And, like, you have to do, you have to take an action to, like, flip that one tile and get the one good and nothing else for the turn. Yeah. So that you can go build that city so that in the future you can get more goods. And even with this, the, the resource strategies there are like a couple really distinct strategies you can go yeah for, which we just like stumbled is, into which is awesome yeah. yeah but you always have to be flexible absolutely yeah and um, then the victory points is so brilliant uh, yeah oh, and, and yeah. that's because baked into the deck construction every every card that you buy and put in your deck 
gives you more victory points in a certain category. And so if you buy a lot of the Jupiter cards, you want to expand. And I don't remember if there's overlap in like the card actions versus their victory point categories. I, If I remember correctly, yeah, they're almost anti-synchronistic. Oh, that's what I thought. I yeah. thought there was like certain pairs that you could do that might work, go together well. Right. Um, but you couldn't just like buy Jupiter and expand more and buy more Jupiter and just like... Right, you can't go, snowball. You can't Everything you do thing. is like opposed by the game mechanisms, but in a really interesting way, which is really cool. And so like all the decisions are interconnected and there's all the systems work together because you want to spend an action buying cards, but you need Silk to buy cards, but you need Silk to buy Silk. So you get other resources to sell them for Silk and then you buy that card, and then you use it to get more silk. And so you, you'll plan out this turn that's like four, four moves ahead, and then someone else takes your spot, and then you have to you know, be flexible to change. Yeah, and, and even though it's a really thinky game in that way, it's actually fairly easy to learn. Like, it's a mid-weight Euro, but it's not, it's not as heavy as some other Euro games we're going to be talking about later in this list, for sure, in yeah. terms of learning the game. I think this one's easier to to learn. It has a lot of brain burn if you let it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I was the you guys had played this before me and then introduced it to me, and I had the the AP feeling uh, that I hadn't felt in probably over a year <laughs> when we when we first played that. But oh, it's a great game. Yeah, it reminds me of in theme and some of the way things work of Time of Crisis. I just I feel like it's the, the same map basically. And there's some deck building. I don't know. I feel like they're a little yeah. bit kindred. Well, when I got them, I think in the both. same order. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. that too. Yeah. I thought you made the comment that you immediately wanted to play again. I did, yeah, yeah. And I think Kyle said the same thing when he played, right? Yeah. Of just like such an interesting puzzle, you just want to do it again. <laughs> it's because well, when you when you add the scores at the end of the game and you kind of look back, you realize how poorly you played that game and you want to just go back in and try to conquer it yeah this it's a weird game for me because we haven't played it in a while and when i think about it there's something it's it's not a game i get super excited about but then we put it on the table and we played it and it's just so good I don't know. That's something weird. I get excited about it. I'm down to play it pretty much I, I'm, always. Yeah, no, I'm down to play it, but I don't know. It's I don't know. Maybe it's the AP potential for Oh, me. sure. Yeah. <laughs> but Intimidating I, whatever. AP. <laughs> whatever. All right. I, that's... I, I approve of this positioning. Good, good. That's number 19, Concordia. Number 18 is a game I also want to play all the time, and I've been peddling to people recently to play it all the time. Another brand new entry to my top list that is Pulsar 2849. You've been all about this game. I'm all that's... about this game. It's now that I've played it a few times, I realize, yeah, it's kind of just like a point salad, but it's a really fun point salad. Like, yeah. everything yeah. you do is fun. And that's the key to a point salad game where, like, right. there right. are a bunch of different ways to get victory points. Sometimes it's like, okay, I can do this and get two points, or I can do this and get two points. In this game, all the different paths are really fun to do, and they're thematic. You're going around... Landing on planets. Yeah, you're exploring. You're landing on planets. You're creating these gyrodynes to get pulsars up. Mega structures. 
you're getting technologies, you're getting, I forget, like you're building like space stations. Yeah, really cool looking space stations that have pictures of dye that you construct. Yeah. There's like five or six different things you can yeah. do, basically. And you have to dice draft. And it's got dice drafting, which is oh brilliant. This has one of the best initiative systems. Maybe in any game. That I've yeah, played. so for the people who haven't played, because I think this game has really, really gone under I, the radar. Okay, okay. Point Salad, yes, it's fun. It's great. To me, I haven't played this enough to know. I feel like there's a lot of variance up and down. But we got to talk about this initiative system. It's Actually, incredible. this is the most under the radar, I suppose. This is the lowest ranked on Board Game Geek. It's in the 500s. Oh, really? I, I think just for numbers. It's okay. got a high average rating. Tell them about the dice and the okay. initiative. So you, you take up like seven dice, you roll them, and then you put them in little boxes. They're D6s based on the number. You six boxes. Six, yeah, one through six. Then you find the median die and then see how many dice are on either side of the median die. And you put this little token. Say there's like, say the median die is a four and there are three dice below it and two dice above it. You would put it at the mark between the three, three and the four. Yeah. Three and a half, the basically. Three and a half, yeah. And then whenever you draft a die, anything above that mark will drop you on your initiative or engineering tracks for how many spots you go above it. And then vice versa for going below it. Because higher dice are more valuable in the game. So in, higher numbered so dice. So this is the initial phase of the of the round where you're drafting the die that have been collectively rolled. And you want the higher number ones because you can do more powerful things with them. But then you have to choose where you're going to take a penalty on these initiative and engineering tracks. Which is really hard to decide to do that. It's or very you, hard. Or you could just take a one or a two and you know maybe you have an action in mind for that. But it's not going to be as powerful. But then you can win those tracks. It's brilliant. It's so well done. I, I love it. It's a hard decision every time. But there are so many different options and so many paths that you can go on that it's it's a fun choice. Like, it's a fun, hard decision because kind of no matter what, you're going to have something cool you can do with it. You have to really tank the drafting thing to get stuck. Like, maybe you look back and you're like, okay, that wasn't optimal, but you're going to be able to do something. Every time that I've played, I've found that, you know, with three players there might be some overlap in strategy. Maybe you're doing two of the three things that I'm trying to do, mm -hmm. but I've never played a game where two people are trying to do the exact same thing. Yeah. I find that I always get about halfway through the game and realize I've just completely ignored one category. And I'm like, man, I should really get on those space stations or transmitters or whatever they're called. But you don't have to. No, but they're cool. And I'm like, <laughs> but that th I could right. be doing that thing. <laughs> Why am I flying around in space when I could be building these space stations? You can win and completely ignore. A major I didn't even category. do my personal tech tree. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other cool thing I like about about Pulsar is that your engine kind of accelerates really subtly because you know there's not a lot of engine building, but different things will allow you to essentially get a third die, a bonus die, a bonus die for that round. And there are only seven rounds in the game, I believe. And by the time you finish like the third one, 
you're like, man, I've done hardly anything. But it's around then where if you've played decently, you'll start getting that third die. And then you, by the time you get to like round six, you're like, wow, I understand that I'm getting 50% more actions, but it's only one die. It doesn't feel like that much, but you're able to accomplish so much more. So the game ramps up really pleasantly like that. And I think, I think a lot of how that kind of subtle engine comes to be is just really interestingly done in, in subtle ways, but yeah, like interesting and surprisingly fun little subtle ways. Mm-hmm. And we should mention that the design and production quality is outstanding. It's round. Everything's round. It's based it's got around the round the map. Yeah. And then all these like all the subboards are like fit so that they fit around the round map and all the pieces are sweet and yeah. Yeah. It's Great. got a cool table presence. Yep. That's Pulsar twenty eight forty nine. Number 17 might cause a little bit of controversy with YouTube, but it was inevitable. Is it War of the Ring? Yeah, it's War of the Ring. Number 17, War of the Ring, which just, by the way, got an excellent review from Shut Up and Sit Down that, to the point where I feel like I don't even need to write a review for it anymore because they said all the things that I would have said in their review. So it's not a bad game. This is it's, a great it's game. It's fine. It's <laughs> it's just not 70 spots better than Rebellion. This game, it's it's an improvement on Axis and Allies. It's an improvement on Risk. It's a great improvement on Axis and Allies. Like <laughs> it makes the game exciting and thrilling and full of theme and has a cool dice rolling mechanism and all the awesome cards and the artwork and how it kind of recreates a new Lord of the Rings narrative every time you play it. You get like feats yeah, of heroism. Really. It does though. You're just taunting me now for its own sake. It's, I, yeah, no, I mean it 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 does. It's an incredibly good game. I love the feeling of story of heroism of the tension that's built into the game where as the free peoples you feel like everything's just completely against you and you're running out of hope and you need them to throw the ring in mount doom as the enemy you're just really or as the the shadow realm you're just super frustrated because you have all these massive armies and you're just going around stomping everyone but these stupid fellowship no you're frustrated because you sit on a siege and you're like you get one attack per round and you're like oh didn't roll any sixes i guess i'll try again on my next die oh i rolled six palantir sucks to suck all right i want that's the worst case i want to it's a fun game i really like it it's 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 a great game it's it's a great game we all think this is a great game i think (laughs) the the cards are really the highlight of it the cards are amazing really put it over the top um the cards are immensely thematic yeah and that, that I think that's the part that really like yeah. engrosses you and takes it from like a risk esque game to this really engrossing thematic, lovely experience. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of fantastic ideas in this game. I I just kind of end up finding it clunky. I don't think it completely executes all of those excellent ideas. But so it it is kind of a Axis and Allies type war map. With different factions in different places. In that it's, it's a geographical map, yes. With units that do different things or sure. have different power levels. You're, you're, you're moving it around. It does some really excellent things in terms of 
um, adding a political element. Just like mm-hmm. the fact that not all the peoples of Middle Earth are ready to fight yet. So half of the battle is convincing them that this Mordor is a real threat. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's which is great because it fits so much yes. into like the stubbornness of the dwarves yeah. and elves and from the books. Yeah, that's awesome. It's better in idea than in practice. Um, I disagree so much. I think it's executed amazingly well to create not just a dudes on a map war game, but a really literary experience as you play. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the fellowship being hidden movement is really cool. After a couple of plays, you kind of feel railroaded, but... But there's enough intrigue there, and, and, and you have options. It, it's not just that you have, you know, a hidden fellowship marker. You also have the option to break people out of the fellowship to help with other things. And sacrifice them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, which which is a great story moment. There's so many good ideas. It is immensely thematic. That's number 17, War of the Ring. <laughs> Let's move on to a game that I think you guys like. I know Orion does. I forget about Matt. Sadly, I haven't been to play. I haven't been able to play for years. Number sixteen, Agricola. Agricola. The what ultimate a, what a game. farming worker placement, grueling experience. Is Agricola like second level classic at this point? Oh, Agricola's. But I mean, like we have El Grande, Catan. Classic is Agricola, Carcassonne. Carcassonne, Agricola is like the next iteration classic at this point. Yeah, well, I think in terms of heavy Euro games, you have Puerto Rico and Agricola. Okay, okay. They really took the Euro game world by storm when they yeah. came out on the heavier side of things because Euro games were initially mostly pretty light, from what I understand, like Carcassonne and you know Catan. But then you get Agricola which a lot of people called Misery Farm, which is fairly accurate. I, I've never heard that. that is really? Very accurate. Yeah. It's a game about sustenance farming, and I love that it creates this incredibly difficult puzzle. I love that more than almost any game, you really feel the pressure of not having enough time, a.k.a. actions, to do anything that you want to do but if you play really well you end up accomplishing something and you fill out your farm and it feels amazing not really well if you play decently well you get to like fill out your whole farm and it's great it gives you such a sense of accomplishment it's like you know they say when you go hiking like the views better if you have a tougher hike before it's kind of like that yeah and it looks great and has all these cool wooden pieces and it's not very true. tightly designed. It's not necessarily true, by the way. The views. Sure. I, I don't... I wouldn't... I mean, yeah. I know it's not necessarily true. I'm saying it's similar to the to the phrase, not the reality of the phrase. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I love Agricola. The thing with Agricola is that I, I feel like I've gotten to, like, level one of Agricola. So I have, like... I've passed, you know, level zero, so I can play the game somewhat competently and not starve and mostly fill my farm and accomplish something by the end. But then I'm handed this hand of cards and I'm like, what do I even do with these? Forget those. I'm just going to like 
do my farm thing, and then I lose by 30 points because I didn't do anything with these cards. Oh, the cards are the key. But they're like, I don't know. It's just, it's too hard. It's it's a fun game, but like... I boy, think if just, we got to go back and revisit it, I think we would find it much less difficult. Because it's been, what, three years? I haven't played this Maybe in so. Long. We don't own it. Cause it it's, it's, we don't have it here. Is it Wes's? It's Wes's, yeah. When, when I think of this game, all I can think of is Wes, the least mathy among us the most narrative and well it creates a great narrative of the struggling this struggling family yeah just how much this game affects him on an emotional level even though it's like the classic euro heavy euro yeah just is amazing i think one of the funniest things about agricola is that they have like the the recommended like first time rules or like the family rules and they're way more grueling than the actual game like there's less complexity but the amount of points that you're able to acquire is so much lower because they don't give you the cards which are a key part of like economizing your actions does I, this game I have, it, have one of the most brutal action blocking i mean like yeah there's like this what's the game with bidding that i can't remember right now with bidding. We played Apex Unplugged. Oh, Keyflower. Like Keyflower. Yeah. Like Keyflower, that is a lot of blocking, Keyflower yeah. Keyflower is up there with the brutal blocking, but Agricola remains about as yeah. nasty as it gets. Yeah, it's just not, there's no way out. Like, if which they thematic- take your space, you just got to be like, oh, which, I got to rethink everything. Yeah, thematically, didn't we just decide that it's mostly just... As much as you hate starving, you hate interacting with your neighbors more. Because yes. it's like, why can't more than one family go to the fishing hole or have a baby? And it's like, these people must hate each other so much that they're willing to starve to death instead of interacting with their neighbors. It's great. If you think about the game that way, it's it's really funny. That's number 16, Agricola. Number 15 is Another heavy Euro, brand new to the list, the final Vital Lacerda game on my list, Lisboa, which I haven't had the experience of not understanding at all what I was doing so much in a game than the last time, or like the first time I played Lisboa. I haven't had that happen in so long, and then I'm just like, staring at the little booklet like helper guide i think three quarters of that game just trying to get my mind to wrap around the basic concept but once you get it it's a blast and it's got just so many cool little parts in it again like pulsar like concordia like concordia that sort of like mental thought processes of everything fits together and you're doing this, which feeds into this, which feeds into this. And ultimately, you're trying to get more points than the other person. But to do that, you kind of have sub goals that you kind of want to accomplish. And then you have these end of game goals that you're trying to accumulate. It's all There's all these little loops of actions that you have to create. And you're trying to find the most efficient way to fit them together and compress them. And there's so much like action efficiency and... Uh, everything has consequences like everything it's like this whole intertwined gear system where you nudge one input and it twists like four other outputs and you have to navigate that and it affects all the other players there's a ton of just really not subtle but not like 
super direct, like really nice Euro indirect interaction on a whole bunch of different levels every time someone does something. And then it's got the Lacerda stuff you would you would expect. End of game bonus points are available in one of the main actions there from the very beginning and viable to go for from the very beginning. It's got this like common space where you're building shops, but as you build shops, it makes those rows and columns easier to build on in the future. But then you can also capitalize and get like the scoring tile public building for different rows and columns. So you're trying to kind of manipulate how you place geographically there. There's the little monk dude that just kind of spins around and grounds out bonuses. There's the whole economic like climate of Lisboa that goes up and down and makes things more expensive or less expensive as you play the game and do things. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many bits and pieces, the but they all, thing. oh, the shipping thing. I, I haven't done much shipping just because I just haven't yet in Lisboa. And there's this whole shipping thing where you can use other people's ships to ship things, which helps them out, but allows you to get, you know, the, the points you need from shipping. You, well, you can, you sell your goods for money, which yeah. you buy those buildings that you want, but then they, but get then they get points. the points. Yeah. yeah, that's right. There's but just so much do it, like super passive aggressively and like fill two-thirds of their ship so they have to like waste a whole turn shipping one good to clear their ship out so yeah you'd be mean like that there's so much stuff going on and it is kind of a steep learning curve but once you get into it it's just juicy euro goodness yeah Um, i really really like lisboa i've spent a decent amount of time trying to think about like how to explain this game better than we learned it and i think I think I could do it in such a way that other people might have less of a learning curve because our first game, I think we are all just completely in the dark for at least half the game. Yeah. And then it started to make sense. And I think it made sense to me about two rounds earlier than it did for you. And Mm -hmm. I ended up winning probably because of that. Yeah, no, it's a great game. I think I have decided that I want to play the gallerist the most of the Lacerda games right now. Right now, yeah, I'd play uh, any of, of them. Of the three, I think I would choose to play. If they were, if you had all three of them sitting in front, like on the table here, I think I would choose the gallerist to play right now. Um, I'd choose that only because it's the shortest. I would, <laughs> and we've well, I guess we haven't played uh, Venus the longest, but uh, we we have played Lisboa a couple times, and I want to go back to the gallerist. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I love them all. This yeah, one, I just love a little bit game. more. And the thick cardboard on all the pieces. Oh, the production quality, except for the boards warping. Apparently, yeah. that's happening with everything. Some of the boards warp. Yeah, that was that was weird. Oh, we haven't even talked about like the cards. There's this whole card system where you're getting passive bonuses. There's bonuses on top and bottom of all the cards, and depending on how you tuck them, you get those that the bonus that you're tucking, and then you get to do like a side action. Or you can play it in the main court for like the center, the main, the main picture of the card, and do the major action. But then that costs influence, and the, I don't know. There's so much stuff. Yeah, there's too much to talk about. Other than that, once you kind of once you get the light bulb, it becomes this super engrossing experience. Like I like dreamed about it the night after I played, <laughs> like dreaming about different strategies and different interactions. What's the theme on this one? Is this the one that the warehouse is burning down? The city burnt down oh, and had an earthquake. That's the meta story. Oh, that's the meta. <laughs> the actual warehouse full of boxes of Lisboa burned down. But it's a game about the city of Lisboa or Lisbon. 
constructing the city of Lisbon that burned after down. the Great Fire. Uh, yeah. And earthquakes. Like 1600s or 1700s? Something like that, yeah. yeah. You would really like this game. You'd have AP okay. up the wazoo, but... I've never played a Lucerda game. You haven't played Venus? You've played Venus no. once, haven't you? No. Really? I've never played Venus. This is a travesty. Really? Wow. How are you friends with us? <laughs> I, I just keep showing up, frankly. <laughs> Maybe we'll start you with a different one, though. V- I, I think... Let's play the gallerist. Yeah, the gallerist you would like. I think there's a decent like half step of complexity for Lisboa above the other two. Well, above the gallerist. Above the gallerist like, for sure. Venus is probably halfway between them. Yeah. Number 14 is just a pleasant game and I think I like it the most of everyone. I don't know. You guys don't seem as excited about it as I do, but I I enjoy it so much every time I play it, and that's Suburbia. A great tile lane, just pleasant. It's just pleasant to play. It's got the nice artwork with a lot of the a lot of like light grays and blues, which looks nice. And you just draft tiles and you pay for them and you put them in your little suburb, and then it like triggers this chain of like you can almost hear like the cash register noises. Like if it was yeah. a video game, yeah. it, you'd like plop it down and it go like cha-ching boing, <laughs> you know, yeah. and make all these funny noises. All the, all the little Some things would turn. Yeah. Then... All the little bonuses yeah. you get as a result of that tile placement and trigger. Some people would like scream and run out of your city. <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff. And it's fairly easy to learn. There's not a lot going on, but I think it's, it's, really difficult to play that game well because it's all about timing the end of the game because as you progress and gain more population which is your victory points you hit certain spots and get to these speed bumps which reduce your income for money and your population passive increase and so you kind of want to like jump up at the very very end before all that income hit destroys you and yeah. try to maximize points. In or you build a casino and just never worry about a speed bump for income. Sure, yeah, that too. And given that everyone's trying to do the same thing, you have to really pay attention to what everyone else is doing, the things they're drafting, yeah. and really taking care of your economy. I don't know, I think it's, it's just a delight every time I play it. It's light, yeah. it doesn't take too I, long, and... I love just getting a tile and then all kinds of little bonuses popping up because of that selection. Yeah. Just feels I don't good. Think, I don't think Suburbia is pleasant in the way a lot of games I describe as pleasant are, but I kind of get what you're going for. Like, it's just, it, it's a simple concept of you pick up a tile and then you put a tile down in your suburb every turn. Yeah. And then all the gears turn. Yeah. And the numbers change. All the numbers change. And then. Like and then the next person goes, and so on and so forth. But, like, thematically, you building your suburb, it works so incredibly well. Yeah, all the incentives work well, where, like, you know, if you put a housing development next to the sewage plant, like, that hurts you. You know, people don't want to live there, or, you know, but if you put a park next to it, it's yeah. really good, or fast food, or whatever. Your airport is more valuable if other people have already built airports. Like, yeah. they're just all sorts Your of... Your restaurants become less valuable as competition comes in. Yeah. Like, just all kinds of cool so stuff. So many interactions that are exactly... That, that, that makes sense, but it's kind of... the 
the tiles themselves are so clear and whimsical almost. Yeah. It's just one of those games that's like, yeah, they, they really nailed that. I think I love the systems of this game more than I love the game itself. You get really stressed playing Suburbia, I think. Yeah, for me, for me, I don't know, it's been a while since we played this a lot, but I had a hard time. I felt like I had to math out See, to me, too it's, many instances. To me, it's simple enough where I can do that calculation pretty quickly. I've pretty much figured out like a couple things to go for yeah. every turn. Like your starting park, I try to always get at least five things next to it and then invest in it late. And then with the borders, you go, you, you pick a border, you pick a couple public goals to go for, mm-hmm. and then you just try to compete on those. As far as strategy, I, I found that there's generally two strategies, two like main category you know, strategies. And one is to just race forward and just try to be ahead of everyone and get more points and just kind of make it work as you go and get as much income and try to hit like the first half of the end window. Or you can do the late game boom, where you intentionally set your reputation to zero and build income and build your city and just keep your population low so you don't hit those speed bumps and just have a ton of money and buy whatever you want. And then you slap down the big stadium and invest in it and get like Mm -hmm. 10 reputation or something. Yeah, yeah. And just like pound it out late. And then in that strategy, you're kind of going for the second half of that ending window. Yeah. And the last couple times we've played, I have gone for the just like push ahead of people like and hope it ends early and if it had been in the first half of the window i would have won both of those games but it was like the last possible tile oh you said with the randomized end the randomized end because it's like there's like what six on top and four on the bottom and then it's in the middle nine somewhere or something like that the last Mm -hmm. deck yeah so you know it's like one of these two rounds and you're not sure where in one of those rounds Honestly, it has a, a lot of hallmarks of a light game. Yeah. It is a fairly light it, game. It is a light game. Um, I think some of the decisions, I don't know, for me, at least when we played it a couple years ago, some of the decisions had more paralysis than you guys had. Honestly, I, it's, it's, I'm, I'm always surprised by how much it, it holds you up because I think it's fairly light and I just get joy in yeah, but I, I agree the casualness of it. I see the joy. I get the joy of uh, a nicely constructed suburb that just is hilarious and makes sense, but also pushes numbers around in the most satisfying of ways. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, most of the joy of it is just looking at your suburb at the end and looking at like this absurd, like just telling this absurd story of how the suburb came to be. Yeah. and you're like, Orion, why, is, why, why is the airport next to a lake, yeah. which is on the other side of this other... Why you know, do you crazy? only have industry in lakes, Orion? <laughs> right. <laughs> why do I only... What happened? Why are all your lakes separated? Well, because they give me more money that way. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. telling the story of it is is the best part of the game. And I, the actual play beyond a certain amount of randomness has become somewhat rote. And it's, it's to me... I, I have a pretty good idea of like how valuable things are. I pretty much have the play I want to do every turn. So there's not a ton of decision-making except for when I have a, only bad options. And then it's like, well, how can I salvage, you know, which of these bad options is the best for me? Mm-hmm. Or, or which of these conditions am I willing to give up to make a move here? But beyond those situations, it becomes, I don't know, a fairly just straightforward of like, 
and that's the play and here we go and it's not to say it's a bad game i enjoy mm-hmm. it it's fun but it but wouldn't be your 14. It would probably not be my 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it I wouldn't be this so. high for me, but yeah. respect. So yeah. respect. You, you'd like it more than us. I think we both like it and say it's a good game. But we Orion and I also got immensely frustrated by trying to program this game. Oh, that's true. Which we should start over and <laughs> do right. <laughs> Someday you'll have a digital version of this game. Number 13 narrowly edging out suburbia in the hexagonal tile lane category to take the number one hexagonal tile lane depending on your definition spot the classic castles of burgundy i love this game i wrote a review of it a couple months ago i think i compared it to bach because it's just so like mathematically sound and elegant and just like it uses like the smallest and number necessary <laughs> yeah kind of not flashy at all and kind of like straight up ugly <laughs> it's just like it's a game that's like just pure basic math and you see it all it's all displayed there and it's despite that it's, i think it's beautiful it's not bad but have you played the dice version Yes, Matt. I we've played the dice version just a few weeks ago, I mean, and the card version, and neither of them are as nearly as good I as think the base game. I would game. go dice card original if I had to rank them. You really hate this game <laughs> no. that much? <laughs> no. I thought the card game was very disappointing, I'm at sorry. least with two players. This would make my this game is fine list. This is one. This is your top ten fine games? Yeah. yeah. There's at least one more on here. Yeah. Probably exactly one more on here. I wonder what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I love Castles of Burgundy. Play I play it every day. Times? It's really good. 500 times? Online, I've probably played it over 500 times. Yeah. I, I've had 20 or 15 to 20 games of Castles of Burgundy going on continually online for a couple years now. Yeah. And I still love it. I love playing it online. The decision making is fun. It's it's still interesting to me to try to like outplay the opponent and okay. maximize okay. flexibility as you're laying tiles. I have a confession. Okay. I think how ugly this game is has affected me far more than it should. I don't and think it's ugly. I think I would like this game a lot more if it weren't for those stupid yellow technology tiles. You only have to play it a couple times and you get what they do. They're so ugly. They're not that ugly. Yeah. It's just pastels. We've talked about some really pretty games today. I think <laughs> Lisboa. Also, Lisboa would maybe be at the top of the list of or the Ring in its own way. So far. Yeah. And I'm not Castle of Burgundy is not an, an ugly game to me, but it's never gonna stand out as like that's a beautiful game. No. Like, if you say it's that about it, it's because you it. play the hexes and you're like, look how well all the systems work together. The beauty's on the it has, inside. It is. it is. It looks fine. I don't think it looks bad. It's fine. The beauty's on the inside with all the math and, and, and all the elegance. I love Castles of Burgundy. It's my number 13. It definitely has, uh, like, the whole, like hexagonal player grid mm-hmm. every decision that you make ends up in you placing a, a little hex on your player big hex right not every decision 
A lot of them. Okay, yeah, well... Half of them. <laughs> roughly half of roughly, them. Okay, yeah. As you're building up your kingdom, your place... <laughs> I, th- I think it's really unique and exceptional how you're you're filling up your hexagonal space with... It's lots of hexagons. Yeah, yeah. Like, hexagon to, to game ratio. Yeah. Like, most of that game is a hexagon. Hexception. <laughs> Hexception. That's number 13, the castles of Burgundy. Number twelve, we go to, to we we go from castle Burgundy building. This is a horrible transition to civilization building in through the ages. The next wow, Vlada game on the list. Was this like four last year? It was seven last year. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was top five last year. It right. dropped about two spots. If you if you take away the games, the sure. new games, it dropped two spots. Okay. I love Through the Ages. So far, it's by far the best civilization game I've played, board game. Its brilliance, I think, is that it takes away what people would say would be a major component of Civ games, which is the map. And in doing that, it makes the rest of it, I think, a lot tighter and more combative, even though you're not combating on a map or you're not fighting over territory on a map. It makes the interaction, I think, really intense. It's got this a lot of drafting games here. Like we got dice drafting with Pulsar. We got like full on drafting with Seven Wonders. You can draft in Agricola. Suburbia is a drafting game. Burgundy's a ca- drafting game. This one's also as well with cards as you're traveling throughout history. Basically, it's like a timeline almost, and it keeps moving on whether you like it or not and this exposes one of mark's other favorite mechanics behind or along with mystery bags and that would be drafting yeah i I love drafting what if there was a game where you like shuffled a bunch of stuff into different mystery bags and then you had to draft a mystery bag or like draft out of a mystery (laughs) bag (laughs) so (laughs) Or you just that could work. Or you just draft the mystery bags. <laughs> you you draft all, the mystery bags. They're functionally yeah. the it's same, like, but there's it's a like draft. You go to a party, right? And there's party favor bags, but they're all unique, and you have to pick the best one, or you pick one, then you have to do something with it. Yeah. Well, in the game I'm designing currently for the Buttonshy contest, I'm realizing now is taking a lot of inspiration from Through the Ages. It's going to be a Civ drafting game, but with only 18 cards. Through the Ages has hundreds of cards, and you get to go all throughout all the ages. Yeah, it's really incredible <laughs> what's represented in the deck. I mean, you go all the way from, like, the Greek philosophers to, like, Napoleon. You go from Moses to yeah. Steve Jobs. Like, yeah. <laughs> in terms of leaders. Yeah, and... and the thing that stands out is that it's it's a very difficult game. Like especially at two players, like if you don't know the game as well as your opponent, you're you're gonna get stomped. I think it really depends on your relative understanding of military because yeah. I think that's the area where you, you can really stomp a less experienced player. Well, it depends on your understanding of the timing of the game because I know it took a couple games for me to understand how many things I could grab from the board and then actually 
accomplish them because you're drafting a lot of these things and like the action cards you can use starting your next turn but a lot of things you draft them then you have to spend science points to actually play them on the board and then you have to spend resources and people to actually get them to activate and do something for you so there's so much thinking ahead and while you know you may be drafting something that you plan to install soon but some other things take priority and then you're upholding it in thematic terms for like a thousand years before you actually get it onto the border and maybe you don't even end up using it at all. So there's a lot going on and it can be difficult. The new version really makes the like turn order resolution, like how your like income phase plays out. It makes it make sense instead of not making sense in the earlier version where it's kind of like backwards. Mm -hmm. So get the new version plus it gets rid of the stupid cylinders Basically, Through the Ages is, as we've mentioned, pretty much the best Civ game that we've played. And then Through the Ages, a new story of civilization, fixes all the rough edges and smooths out everything that you might have complained about. It just polishes the game, yeah. And I think a lot of people, some people find it kind of dull, but I think once you, I don't know, you kind of have to get your hooks in you of like, how can I just do this better and not get stuck like farming rocks, you know, into the technology age, but, you know, improve that more efficiently. And then there's this whole like Cold War dynamic with the military and different strategies you can take. It, it's both very, very tight in terms of strategy and like you're always playing it's, on the edge, but it's super expansive at the same time. It's very competitive and everything is scarce. Yeah. And there's a lot of competition for how you're going to use your resources. But there's lots of different strategies that you can go and different directions and paths you can take to get to a winning position. Yeah. Vlada did it again here. One of his earlier games, so I guess he did it originally. Before. Before. Really, Vlada, you should get back to, yeah. I think, some of your Vlada, earlier we games. Want, we want we love heavy. As much as we love code names, I, I we would love, like... A heavy game. A heavy game. I thought I heard a rumor he was working on another Euro. I don't know. Like it's a, been a while like, since like Code Names. A Euro somewhere between you forget, like somewhere between Galaxy Trucker That's and Through question. the Ages. Like put a Euro like anywhere in that range of heaviness. Like yeah. that'd be just or heavier or heavier. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Anyways, that's number twelve through the ages. Number eleven, another game that really evokes history and epicness and expansion and conflict. A newcomer to the list, the great 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 gmt game here i stand which i've gotten to play a couple times now not necessarily all the way through but honestly it's all about the narrative and the feeling of history and the the interaction between the players and the diplomacy and trying to like just squeeze out something that you're able to do um because Everything's kind of drawn out in that game. You have to really plan ahead, like your military campaigns. You want to do... I played as the Protestants last time, and I wanted to do so many things, but really had to focus on expanding the Protestant reach throughout Germany before I could go you know, into England and other places. It's super asymmetrical. There's six factions, and you ideally want to play with six players. And it takes this chunk of history and then just perfectly makes a game about it where you recreate that chunk of history in a completely fascinating way. 
Yeah, I love this game. I'm surprised you put it at number 11. I would have thought you'd put it like, I don't know, low 20s, but you must really, really love it. I mean, after we played it the last couple of times, I realized like my my initial doubts about whether or not I would like it kind of went away. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I love <laughs> it for sure. I think after our last play, I was, I didn't love it more than I did before playing it. I think I stayed the same or maybe decreased just a hair. And I think there's, if I were to critique it, it's that there's a lot of almost fiddly little stuff going on. And a lot of that feeds into the grand arc of it. But some of the little like details of like loaning ships to people and some of like the port mechanics are just awkward and unwieldy. Just a little bit, some yeah. Some things like that are just a little like, man, that's just, that's really how that works, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe if they came out with a slightly streamlined version, but I wouldn't want it to be streamlined too much. No. Because I think just the narrative and how interesting all, all the interactions are between the different players in the game is so cool that it's kind of a unique one in our collection right now in terms of just being that epic and a historical game like the coin games do that somewhat yeah but this one's just kind of beyond you leave it to gmt and the coin series to tackle a theme like this but this is really an exceptional feat of theme integration into a game though to be clear this is not a coin game oh sorry sorry it's a card-driven war game. Card-driven war game, yeah. But Although coins are kind of a subset of that. Anyway. Yeah, believe it to GMT. <laughs> like, making a game out of the Protestant Reformation I mean, it, is remarkable. It's like Twilight Imperium meets the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Well, and designed by Ed Beach, who created at least one of the Civ computer games. He was head designer on the new one, I believe. Okay. Was it the new one? I thought it was maybe Civ 5? It might have been 5. Yeah. He's been involved, I think, in a number of them. Yeah. And this is just kind of his triumph of design. Fairly old game. I think it's over 10 years old by now. But it feels really fresh, I think. In, in some in, ways, it's 500 years old. Yeah, we have the 500th anniversary edition commemorating the Reformation. Question, because I haven't played this in years. I've played it multiple times. It's got to feel crazy different when you're playing different factions. Yeah. Well, it's more do like you... certain factions just don't care about some of the systems. Yeah. So do you find yourself just having a very different experience? Like when you play the Pope, do you just like, I don't know, you have a very Catholic experience, but then you play like the, 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 what, Austria-Hungary? Uh, like, the Habsburgs. The Habsburgs. Yeah. And you just like, you don't really care about any of this religious nonsense they care a bit the ottomans don't care at all the ottomans yeah like i don't know you get very different play experiences oh yeah yeah like i said some systems just they don't care there's this whole like debate system with like converting and really only the pope and the protestants care about that you have the new world exploration and only england france and the habsburgs care about that there's the all the naval rules and piracy and only a couple factions care about that yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Plus, it's card-driven, so you get all the cool card uh, effects and all that. Yeah. It has, perhaps, the greatest chart in any game that we yes. have ever seen. King Henry VIII's wives' pregnancy chart. Yeah. Throughout King Henry game, VIII just wants a son. Throughout the game, England, their like, main card, 
they can play it to declare war on anyone at any time, which normally you have to spend points and declare that at the beginning of the round. They can just do it whenever they feel like. Or Henry can basically divorce his current wife and marry the next wife in the historical order. Yeah. And then you roll a die to basically see how fertile they are or like how well you do at make producing a male heir and then like the goal is to get a six and if you get a six then you have a healthy male heir and that's worth five points yeah. in a game that goes to 25 it's really awful but it's really funny well it's really funny because that actually happened in history like he actually did go through six wives trying to get a son yeah and kept like beheading them or beheading or whatever and it's it's a horrible thing but just the absurdity of it as you're like rolling a die to see like you know how well they do this time (laughs) it's just it's so hilarious yeah and it's set in the middle of this super serious intense detailed war game spanning a hundred years or whatever yeah and you might get someone like yes they got pregnant (laughs) and that can like change the future of that nation and it's hugely impactful and yet it's also just i don't know it's just funny how impactful that small event can be and the absurdity of his quest for an heir yeah that's number 11 here i stand number 10 we're down to the top 10 we get to matt's favorite game on earth dominion dominion the classic deck building game. Classic. We've talked about it so much already. Yeah. What's what is there to say? What more is there to say? Do it's really, still the best pure deck yeah. builder I've ever played. You really don't need any other games. Honestly, yeah. If you could have like <laughs> one game, including expansions, you gotta choose Dominion. I think. Like you just keep playing it over I, and over. You play I, it hundreds and thousands of times and Dominion, still yeah. enjoy it. The desert island question. I think I would choose Dominion. I don't know how you Although, wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just, unless it, you're unless you're stuck on the island alone. Yeah, Dominion. It's it's the best. It still does the yeah. victory point thing best than anything I've ever seen in a deck builder. Where buying victory points slows your engine down. It's got. Tons of variability. The expansions are still really good. The new ones. I think some of the best expansions have been the last in the last two or three. I, I think Dominion is it's a remarkable game. It's a remarkable system. And what these later expansions have shown is that it's kind of gotten to the point where it's like, okay, we've done all of the reasonable things we can do. So let's do but, the unreasonable ones. But our the system is so robust, we're just going to do crazy things. And it can easily handle that kind of expansion of mechanisms. You know, as, as they've added different kinds of tokens to the game and added a few more game areas. You know, what's the one? Your tavern mat. I love uh, the which, tavern which mat. Which is awesome. And it's an extension of the previous duration idea the most recent expansion adds a new phase which i think is the first time a phase has been added since the very beginning of dominion but it's just such a ro- it's such a robust system there's so much room for interesting interactions and because you're choosing 10 random cards among whatever subset of the like 200 cards available yeah. now you never have the same game twice 
a lot of games have a similar vibe, but there's always room for surprises and always room for interesting experimentation. And, and the game gets better and better as you play it. The kind of strategic depth gets better as you play against someone. The more you play it, the more you love it. Pretty much, yeah. The only downside of the game really is how much of a hassle it can be to set up. Yeah. Well, Although sure. now we've got it down to, to a couple like, boxes. Or how to hard store. it is to carry and store. <laughs> when you have a lot of expansions, yeah. yeah. I still it's, think Adventures may be... It's yeah. very close to my favorite expansion. I, I think I've been saying Hinterlands is my favorite expansion for a while. I think it's a good I, one. I think I, I, I stand by that. It's a little simpler than some of the adventures and some of the later ones, but mm-hmm. adventures might be in the top three expansions. Yeah. Me. We did review them all, so I guess we could go back and look we, at our ratings did, then. Yeah, we never did rate uh, Nocturne. But I haven't played it yet. Yeah, we, we didn't. We got to play that. Are you ever going to come out with your special Dominion content? Maybe after I get married. <laughs> <laughs> that other life event going on. <laughs> Bubba was messaging me about that. Hey, you want to write about Dominion? Hey, you want to write about Dominion? That was right when we were like, we have to figure out where we're going to get married. <laughs> so There may be more Dominion stuff coming for the Thoughtful Gamer. Number nine... The game, every time I think of like, I, I see like on our board games or something like, what is a game that is just brilliant? Like, it's just like you can just appreciate the craft and the design of it more than anything else. This is the first game that always comes to mind for me. And that's Dominant Species. Huh. Okay. I think it's a very. It's one of those games where like every bit of it's just a fun puzzle and you're trying to outwit both the game and the other players and there's lots of things to think through and different timing, but it's incredibly easy to learn given how complicated it can be. It's got a really cool theme. It's got a little bit of uh, the coolest of themes according to you. It's got a little bit of asymmetry. All the different, different types of animals have their own benefits. It's both really really mean you can like literally wipe someone off the map but it allows for them to come back everything just fits together so well i love the the way it does worker placement where you place everything first and then it all resolves in in a predetermined order so as you're choosing those actions you have to think about how everything is going to resolve it has one of the the best action selection systems it looks really cool. It's incredibly well produced. Yeah. Another love, GMT game. I love the process of planning out my turn and thinking, all right, I want to do adaptation. I want to do wanderlust. I want to do dominance at least once. And then I should probably speciate. Oh, no, I'm going to get wiped out from the devastation or one of those middle ones. Mm-hmm. How do I avoid that? Oh, I have to take adaptation yeah. first because... There's three skulls and there's only one flower and the skulls are all going to get destroyed. So I really want that flower. So I need to go first there. But I also, there's an ocean in Wanderlust that I really want to take. So you have, you're considering all those things as you plan on your turn. Yeah. Everyone else is considering those things. Yeah. And then everyone is considering who's a threat. And who they want to mess up in whatever set of things they want to do. And each person is considering about what the other people are considering. And then if like someone puts something on on something you didn't expect, you're like, whoa, 
wait a minute. What did I miss? Why did I do that? Yeah. And now how do I, do I have to rethink or what I know based on Or you ignore what Amber's yeah. doing and continue on your own plan. Or you don't think about that and lose the game very badly and dramatically in the last minute. In all of that, I think it's a pretty elegant action system. I think it's where... one of the most elegant games ever yeah, made. Yeah, I agree. Um, because there's all those layers of direct and indirect interaction but it's not that complicated what you're actually doing you're just selecting actions putting action pawns on things it's also straightforward like there's not there's no fiddliness well i mean there's some like physical fiddliness to like keeping track of who's dominant where but in terms of like how everything plays out everything is just like like the whole game could be put into like symbolic logic like it's just so clear there's a there's a brilliant two-axis system of control. Yeah, with the the number of cubes you have and then how acclimated you are to that terrain type or that terrain space, which both are important. Um, it's really good. I love dominant species. It has some it has some flaws that you have with any multiplayer game with with direct conflict. You have some king making stuff that happens. Little more than I would like, but it's it's not, a it, it, it's a it's minor not as thing bad as it is in a lot of similar games. Yeah, I, I, I just the process of playing the game itself is great. That's number nine, dominant species. Number eight, we talked about a lot of heavy games, a lot of games that I appreciate for their mechanical brilliance and the way they they create puzzles and cause you to think. Number eight is a game I appreciate because. It's just a blast. Space, space alert. alert. Space alert. You get Definitely to be a space, space team. Not get to be fed. a space team on There's an, nothing that feels better than being a space team. An ill-fated ship where aliens are coming at you, and in real time, you have to try to figure out how to defeat them or at least survive or try to survive. Isn't your ship called the lame duck? No, it's like the USS sitting duck. Yes. Sitting duck? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's got one of those classic... Another Vlada game, by the way. I have to point out when Vlada makes an appearance. Second to last Vlada game on the list. <laughs> it's a real-time game that just perfects that, I think. Or at least as close as I've ever seen for cooperative real-time yeah. games. It's complicated for that kind of game. But that just makes you think more and cr- makes the pressure that much more pressuresome. And, and at the same time, satisfying. And... It's one of those games where it's so cool because as you play, you really, really feel like you're learning how to play the game better. Absolutely. And you, if you play like three games in a row, even in an evening, and the games only take half an hour in total. It's like 10 to 15 yeah. minutes for the real-time part and then 10 to 15 to resolve it all. Yeah. Because um, it's a programming game. And you can feel yourself getting better at it and understanding it better Part of the game is like navigating, actually like interpreting the rules of the game, but in a good way where you get this ship and you're like, whoa, what does yeah. this ship actually do and what does that mean? And right, it takes because- the complexity of like a card text and makes it part of the difficulty of the game. It's which literally is so like cool. you just popped out of hyperspace and this crazy alien that you've never seen before is in your viewfinder and you have to figure out right now 
what the heck does it do? Yeah. Right. You get a scanner readout of what it's going to do. And, and like, then you're yelling across oh the gosh, table at your friends. Go push that giant yellow button over or green button over there yeah. to bring the shield. <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, we, don't in, have, we don't have energy. You're in the Charge the second. reactors. Hit the A button. Hit the C button to fire the rockets. For those who haven't played Space Alert, that's about what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who haven't played, the ship is entirely controlled by very large colored buttons with the letters a b or c on them yes and your actions consist of moving in a, to a different room on the ship and or pressing one of the large buttons to do something yes also i have to say that space alert has one of if not it's certainly in the running for having maybe the best expansion ever made yeah for sure the expansion which you don't want to get right away you yeah. want to get it after the base game Starts getting a little easy. Which it is Which will take a year. A good quality for an expansion. Yeah. It wasn't just left off of the base game. Yeah. And then you get the expansion and then you're like, oh boy. This we game is like, very we hard. We haven't beat the expansion. We haven't even played it on hard. We've we haven't played even it played medium. it on medium hard. Yeah. Like yeah. we're getting stomped on the medium difficulty, and I think we're pretty good but, at space alert. But it has a brilliant difficulty scaling mechanism yeah really easy to do so you play at the difficulty that's right for your group it's one of the best difficulty scaling mechanisms i mean yeah in in any of the co-op games we play yeah an absolute masterpiece from vlada for a long time this was probably our favorite co-op it was my favorite co-op until spirit island gives it a run for its money it might still be my favorite it's certainly up there. I think it's in for for a feeling of teamwork, it's the best ever. Agreed. Agreed. And the best real time game. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. And it solves the quarterbacking problem so brilliantly. As we've talked about before, of mm-hmm. just you have too much stuff to comprehend and too little time to do it that you don't have time to quarterback. You yeah. all have yeah. to work together. Yeah. Number eight, space alert. Number seven, the game. That we have played more than any other game, probably it might be competing with Dominion, and that is the Resistance. The Resistance, or Resistance, or Avalon. Either one. I like yeah. the Avalon rules. I like the Resistance theme a bit better. So I guess agreed. The optimal solution is get the Resistance and the one expansion that turns it into Avalon, and then like we did, get some broken full metal body <laughs> airsoft guns. To use instead of the little cardboard things that have pictures of guns just to make it that much more intense. And then for the rest of our lives, we have to hide them when anyone like yeah. we're not sure about comes over. Oh, true. Yeah. We have to be see, carry, like, very these... careful about transporting yeah. these, yeah, these broken right. airsoft guns. Yeah, we, we like we chipped off the orange tips. <laughs> yeah. So that we can make them feel look more, more realistic. Yeah. 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 I don't peak theme, peak board gaming mood. For us, was when we played this with the soundtrack. With with the soundtrack um, to the American version of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo soundtrack. By Very Trent, creepy Trent, sound Trent soundtrack. Trent. Yeah, lights with, dimmed with our real guns. Lights dimmed. Our real broken and, airsoft guns. And Wes wearing <laughs> his the the Russian. <laughs> The Russian army hat, or That's Russian right. army hat, like the giant like fur hat. Basically, role playing being. And is that also the game where KGB. he only spoke in Russian? Yeah. He did that thing. once. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty great. <laughs> anyway, 
The resistance. We haven't even talked about what the resistance is. It's the best social deduction game ever made. It takes <laughs> the social... Th- there's not a whole lot to say about it. It takes the social deduction j- genre, the type of game, you know, brought from mafia or werewolf, whatever you want to call that, and then it whittles away all the unnecessary parts, and then you're only left with the like core premium experience of social deduction, where I don't think you could take away anything more from it. I don't think you could. And if you took more away, it would be yes, no banana. Yeah. <laughs> it would be, it would fail. But you can't, it just whittled down to perfection and then turned into a game. Yeah. That's what it is. And then the stuff it adds can add a little bit of flavor, but are not necessary by any means. We played this in Pittsburgh as well. I was a oh, spy yeah. and pulled the wool over Wes's eyes again. <laughs> oh, that's oh. Steph and I fooled him so hard. Oh, he was man. so he was so sure that we were that we were the the resistance, and and we were not. <laughs> yeah. It warms my heart. Too. Everyone <laughs> else, everyone else in the room by the end knew what was going on, but Wes was sure that Stephanie and I were resistance. <laughs> And he would not have approved any mission. There are a few things more <laughs> satisfying than, as a spy, having someone on a your member team. of yeah. the resistance swearing that you are yeah a good guy. Yeah, yeah. it should be said. Orion is very good at the resistance. <laughs> you have a great poker face. I'm good at the. I'm good at the poker face and not giving anything away. Well, you're good at not changing the way you present yourself entirely, no matter what side you're on. Yeah, um, because Wes will play differently, and he will just try to be a random character every time. Which is one way to do it. Which is one direction you can go, and that's a great direction. If you can pull it off, I think it's harder. At least for me, it would be way harder. And that's one direction to be good at the game. It works for the kind of person like Wes, who can just step into a character. Mm Mm-hmm. And the other way is to always be the same every time. Yeah. And that's what I have figured out how to nail, at least enough that you guys usually can't tell. Yeah. My uh, problem is when I'm resistance, I'm... You're I'm, way smarter. I'm, I'm way smarter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why hasn't Matt said anything smart? It's because he's a spy. <laughs> or, you, or you say something, you're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You're a spy. <laughs> Yeah, you got to the point where you were just too good as the resistance that it killed your spy game. Yeah, that's... And that was one of the things that brought about the downfall of resistance for us as a group because we played with the same five so many times. Dozens and dozens of times. Well, we eventually played the resistance out. Yeah. But... But after, like, you've played it a hundred times? The meta that we developed as a group was the best game meta that I have ever experienced in any game, board, video game. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. Easy. The, the evolution of this, uh, we played the Resistance once or twice a week in our weekly game night. Yeah. Was was just brilliant how it evolved as as we played in, in one group. And it's fun to go to another group and, and start a mm-hmm. new me- meta. Uh, but... If you play with the same group a hundred times, you might wear the game out. <laughs> Not a bad problem. <laughs> That's the seal of recommendation. Yeah. I should oh, also say that this game 
was the origin of the infamous, or maybe not so infamous, but the game bubble concept. Oh, that yes. I think Matt invented to teach other people how to be okay lying to their friends while playing <laughs> yes. the resistance. Oh, man. I have some friends that are just the most pure in heart. And <laughs> I have I have so much respect for them as human beings. But it is so satisfying to put them in a situation where they have to lie their ass off to <laughs> five of their closest friends for an hour. It's so great. Anyway, that's number seven, The Resistance. Let us take a moment of silence for number six. Android Netrunner. The doomed card game we just learned, what, last week? Maybe two weeks ago? Yeah. That will be canceled as of October 21st. And I never played it. There's there's already a group of people who are organizing continuing the game after the license is gone and doing tournaments and stuff. And I will keep playing Netrunner as long as I possibly can because it is brilliant. And the, the saddest thing is that the meta right now is so diverse and so interesting. And the cycle they just did, maybe the best cycle ever done. It was really, really cool. There's all these different ways to play and all these good factions and my favorite runner is now potentially decent and she's never been decent ever and it's going to end in a few months sadly unless wizards of the coast does something because they've they were the ones who were licensing the game out to fantasy flight but well of still course, it was the classic richard garfield design from what 20 years ago or something yeah and then there was a ccg back in the day that had that fizzled and then Fantasy Flight licensed it about six years ago? Seven, five five years? six years ago? Five, like six, that. yeah. Um, and created Android Netrunner, which is just, it's just brilliant. I've never heard, I haven't played a lot of CCGs or LCGs or TCGs, whatever you want to call them. But I know decently about a number of them. And in terms of like the game experience and the mechanisms and how the game works, none of them... I think could come close to Netrunner. It's just brilliant. Yeah, the interplay between <laughs> the asymmetrical back and forth, the tension of the hidden information, the bluffing, the risk management, risk assessment, the deck building, the I don't know, the the how the theme of it's so cool the too. The theme of it, the fa- the fact that all of the victory points are in the corpse deck. They all start in their deck and then you're both trying to dig them out and either score or steal them. So many cool things. The factions, all how all the different factions work. It's a brilliant game. I love playing it. I love the tournament scene. I love deck building. I love theory crafting. Yeah, just theory um, crafting decks is great. Seeing the new cards and you're like, oh, I wonder if I could combine that with that. And I'm sure other people have this experience with other card games. Oh, certainly. Um, but this is the one that for both Mark and I has just really captured the imagination. And boy, what a game. Nothing more to say. It's the best card game I've ever played. What's the dream? The dream I'm thinking now is that Wizards of the Coast is going to reboot Netrunner and combine it with the new cyberpunk game from CD Projekt Red, makers of The Witcher. What, Cyber 2077 or something? Something like that. Because the trailer, did you watch the trailer for that game that they launched at E3? It looks exactly like Netrunner. Really? It looks, it, the aesthetic is exactly like Netrunner. So maybe that's where they're going. I'll take Netrunner in any form 
Well, if it's a CCG, it'll be hard. I don't want to do booster if it's packs. If a CCG, you'll just keep playing. I'll just keep playing the Android Fantasy Flight one. And find a community to keep playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or play online. It's great. Number six, Android Netrunner. Number five, we get to the final Vlada game on the list. It's Last fine. year it was number two. Matt thinks it's fine. I think it's great. A wonderful rousing adventure. Number five, Mage Knight. Vlada's most complicated game, but I think is best by a hair. It's just a great adventure. You set out to ravage the countryside. You fight all kinds of crazy monsters and mage towers and cities and towns and you burn monasteries and you get more powerful and you get followers and it's all that cool adventure stuff but the real core of the game is this brutally difficult card puzzle you're faced with on every single turn where you're limited by what you can do by the cards in your hand and manipulating that and and figuring that out is each round an extremely satisfying experience and it's just an epic game. I love Mage Knight. And they're going to release the new Ultimate Edition or whatever fairly soon, later this year maybe. Is it built on the same... Does it have new stuff in it? Like is it a, a new edition or is it... I think it's just every all the expansions and stuff put into one box. And I think they might have said updated artwork for some stuff. Okay. Maybe. I forget. I don't think there's much, if any, new, but it'll just be everything in one place, hopefully without the uh, printing errors that plagued the expansions. The second one. It's definitely not a bad game. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, this game, it just, uh, it makes for just the best afternoon or evening or night of... Where time just flies by. You just lose, like, all concept of outside time. We talked about the game bubble in terms of being morally okay with the social choices that you're making in the resistance and this has a different sort of game bubble where you just lose track of time and you're just you just become this mage knight adventuring through the countryside plundering i mean you will. also doing away with morals <laughs> and stuff yeah but. you're not you're not the hero of the story sure i mean it's also like it's a separate fantasy world but yeah there used anyways. to be a minis game yeah, the minis are cool, the cards are cool, putting together your hand and trying to figure out what you can do while keeping in mind the overall arc like of progress that you're trying to maintain, the pace you're trying to maintain, mm-hmm. knowing that you've got this big showdown coming and needing to be powerful and exploring the tiles and just eking out the efficiency where you can while deck building and getting to use your new cards. It's, it's, it's so much fun. I've said a lot of the same thing about this game and many other We had a whole podcasts. podcast about this game. Mage Knight, Rage Knight. Yeah. I think for me that the card puzzle is the more satisfying part of this game. Where I find more dissonance than apparently you guys find is in the overarching game. I, I, I will definitely agree with you that, that, that the, the puzzle that you face every turn... In, in trying to do something awesome and frequently ending up doing something awesome. Especially by the end of the game when you've built up and become more powerful. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's a really cool puzzle to, to, to use your card powers in a, in a unique way. Mm-hmm. That is number five, Mage Knight. Number four, a game where we're going to use a lot of the same adjectives in terms of puzzles and cards and such. Brand new game on the list, Spirit Island. Spirit Island. Number four. We just spoke last week with the designer. 
one of our best podcasts ever, if not, I think it's my favorite podcast we've ever done. It was my favorite to record, definitely. I can't wait to the next time we, we talk with Eric. Yeah, whenever he, next yeah. time he releases something new, he has another game coming out. We've or done some other good podcasts, yeah. but I think that one, it's easily top five. And for me, I think it's probably the best podcast we've ever done. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to it, listen to that one. That's last week's podcast. Spearlining a brilliant game. Cooperative card play. Thematic. Thematic, super asymmetrical where... Heavy. <laughs> yeah. Where every person takes control of this individual spirit and... You really feel ownership of that spirit and you you help it develop and evolve and change into something more powerful and more awesome. And then by the end of the game, even in games where you lose usually, you end up doing something really cool and helping out your teammates and working together. It looks incredible. We've talked about a lot of pretty games here in this list. Spirit Island may be one of my top five favorite like best looking games ever off the top of my head i love the aesthetic of spirit island listen to last week's episode if you want to hear more about how cool it is yeah do listen to the conversation with eric yeah one of the things just as far as the look of it it has a brilliant and, and fairly unique watercolor but sharp style that that gives both vivid color but also some i don't know some intensity maybe that that yeah it's like it's both very colorful but the spirits are portrayed as something very dangerous as they should be because you're like destroying people and ravaging cities and stuff and trying to send the colonists, you know, off the Island. I just love looking at the art. Like to me, like you, you gain a new major power that you've never had before in your, in your hand. And just like looking at the art and, imagining the the scene of that happening in the movie of the game. Yeah. And the wonderfully named cards and and you're just thinking about this new power that you have and how your spirit has this new thing and it's depicted on the card. It's, it's just absolutely beautiful and, and lovingly created. I think this game has almost shifted my gaming preferences to where I'd rather play a co-op game than a competitive game right now. Wow. Because we have so many, or a couple just of these fantastic co-op games that are so, they have like the depth and strategy that I love from board gaming and these heavy games in general. And the, just the experience of win together, lose together mm-hmm. just adds so much enjoyment and the, the teamwork and the working together and combining yeah. powers yeah. and everything. Sometimes I'm just not in the mood to try to outthink and defeat another person, whereas it's can be much more enjoyable. Uh, but this in, game in, is like the level of thinking that you expect from a heavy euro. Oh, yeah. Except you're working together. Right. Instead of trying to, instead of playing Tzolkin or what was the, or like one of the Lacerda games, like yeah. that sort of like heavy interplay, planning out your turns, planning ahead, thinking about the strategic implications. And instead of doing that to defeat the other players you're working together to do that same thing to defeat the game and they're both great but i found a lot of situations where i'm much more in the mood to play a co-op game like spirit island Mm -hmm. than a competitive game 
this is the game this is the co-op game on par with space alert in difficulty scaling there's just so many ways to scale the difficulty and they're all awesome yeah yeah really well done to kind of allow you to customize the game to how you want it yeah you can set the difficulty you can set the adversary you can set a scenario you can play with different combinations of spirits you can ramp it from zero to ten i think we've beat it on four four i think ben and i might have beat it on five once but we were talking to Eric and he's like, yeah, my playtesters have beat it on <laughs> difficulty nine with every spirit playing solo. And we're like, oh, all right, then we've got a ways to go. Yes, absolutely. That's number four, Spirit Island. Number three, by this point, honestly, in terms of like the amount of time we've spent playing it, one of the games we have spent the most time playing, at least you and I, Orion, I think have been part of all of it. Number three. Twilight Imperium. Oh, yeah. The epic sci-fi masterpiece 4X space opera. Space opera extravaganza. It's a new story every time you play. It takes all day long. It's totally worth it. It looks incredible. The fourth edition's really great. Third edition's really great. That's the one we started with. You get to take this alien race and try to conquer the galaxy with it and try to get. Uh, score objectives and negotiate at its core it's a negotiation game i think it borrows more from games like diplomacy than it does from games like risk yeah although it adds so much more flavor and interesting mechanisms and different systems on top of that ridiculous amount of flavor (laughs) so much like you get your dank (laughs) you get your it is the dankest yeah probably you get your alien (laughs) galaxy you get your alien race and then there's like a whole like encyclopedia entry on the history of it all the planet cards like little cards of descriptions of the the climate of the planet or its history (laughs) like so much flavor has gone into it and it just makes the experience amazing and then it's from a mechanical perspective, a really well-constructed game also. Yeah. It's just like epic in a box. And it's a huge yeah. box, and it's full of stuff, and it's going to take over your table and take over your day, and you're going to create a story every time you play. Yeah. You're going to argue with other players. You're argue but with other people. Yeah, if you might get angry. <laughs> if you're going to spend like six hours building up to a climax, Twilight Imperium... You need pays off. Yeah, it it supports it pays that off. much time. Like yeah. you have this space empire, and you go to war, and you have a ginormous, satisfying battle. Yeah, that justifies the time cost of playing this game. Yeah, it's the most epic game that I've played, and it, it always pays off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about all that needs to be said about it. I think it's. It's the best epic game I've played. I decided, I think I know what your next game will be. Okay. Or I know what, well, at least one of the next two. And for a long time, I would have said that was my favorite game. But a few months ago, I decided that I should probably say this was my favorite game. Because we've gone back to it so much, and I always talk about it. And so I think I will probably say that this is my number one game. Yeah. It's Amber's number one. Yeah. So yeah. As a group, it might... It's one of our highest collective. Number three, that's Twilight Imperium. Number two, 
the other Twilight, Twilight Struggle. This was number uh, one last year. It has been dethroned. Oh, my. Yes. Crazy madness is happening. What's, what's going on in the world? In There's town. a new champion. But Twilight Struggle still brilliant. I talked earlier about dominant species being elegant and mechanically just incredible to consider. Like Not even just the experience of playing the game, just to think about how it was made and how well it was made. I think Twilight struggles the same way. Every yeah. bit of that game makes sense. It makes thematic sense. It makes mechanical sense. It creates a story. It's an incredibly tight two-player game. New high-level strategies are still being developed for it, and it's 14 years old by now. Like when they made the digital version, apparently there was a bunch of Twilight Struggle players in China that people in America or Europe didn't really know about that much. And now that it's really easy to play online, they're discovering that like the Chinese meta for Twilight Struggle has developed all these other strategies and they're winning really well. Like they're doing really well. Yeah. And like a lot of games, asymmetric, that might be a theme of this list. Cold War game about trying to establish influence across the globe. It's the best card-driven war game. We've talked about a lot of those. It does the most incredible things with that system. It really perfected it. And I don't think anything has beaten it since in terms of utilizing cards as well as Twilight Struggle does. It's an incredible game. Maybe maybe one thing you haven't touched on yet is just how incredibly accurate the feeling is to the theme yeah like, it creates like you the feeling feel like you're in a cold war yeah and you know that's kind of besides all of the mechanical brilliance of the game mm-hmm. just the feeling of playing it is it, it you feel like you're in a cold war where you can never do anything quite right and you, there's this sense of dread that everything is just mitigation rather than actually doing something good. Yeah, that's and that's the big selling point, I think. Yeah, this game is perfect. I mean, it nails everything exactly right. It nails the experience. It nails the theme. It has the best like hand struggle or like hand play struggle of like how do I deal with this hand of cards? A good player will do so much more than a bad player. There's so much room for skill in ta- like short-term and long-term decisions. You already touched on the like mental struggle of feeling like you're in this cold war. The like everything is streamlined, everything works together. It has these impactful events during history in the cold war are boiled down to a single card or a single dice roll and you put all of that into a card play, but every card has that. And there's so much going on, it forces you up to this macro level to think about the war as a as a large struggle, you know, over 50 years, mm-hmm. instead of just this conflict for a year or five or whatever. Yeah, like the Korean War is a card. Yeah, the Vietnam War is a card. Uh, and it's not even that significant of one. No. <laughs> yeah, it, it forces you to take that really high level view of global politics, which... It's fascinating because the Cold War obviously is when like real politic theory was developed, I suppose, you know, and that's kind of what the game is about is forcing you to look at the conflict 
from the super utilitarian point of view or the super pragmatic point of view, which, you know, a lot of people would have a problem with in real life, but it, it kind of helps you understand how to do that. And then we think back on, oh, wow, you know, over the course of this game, like millions of people have died over the course of the wars we've initiated here. Like it, yeah. it, it's a really cool experience from that political science, I guess, perspective. Anyway, Twilight Struggle number two. That leads us to number one, my favorite game at the current moment. Of all time. Of all time at the current moment. <laughs> I'm I'm sure the list and the list is obviously gonna change from year to year, but right now when I was making the list, this is the game that I've been enjoying the most that I want to play over and over again. It's the one currently sitting on our table for those watching the live stream. Gloomhaven. Wow. This was a what tough a zero to hero. This was a tough decision when I was doing the rankings. These decisions and not me, Mark. I I think I sat for about three minutes thinking over Twilight Struggle versus Gloomhaven, and then I made a decision. I clicked it, and I didn't think about it again. Like I <laughs> would, I, I have make, to force would, myself to second guess. The same it. decision today. If I don't know. I honestly things. don't know. I'd have to sit there for three minutes thinking about it, right, and then maybe the I'd next, make a different decision. The next three minutes of this podcast are gonna be really boring. <laughs> But no, like Gloomhaven does so much well. The thesis I've been saying about it in a couple in both the review and the article I wrote fairly recently about it is that it doesn't blow us away with anything exceptionally new or innovative. It just does what it does better than any other game of its type. And it does everything it does. It has, yeah, every single part of it is done exceptionally well. The characters are cool and interesting and, you know, borrow a little bit from stereotypes, you know, fantasy stereotypes, but also do have their own twists. The way the AI works is really elegant. The way the game scales to player count and difficulty is really well done. The way items work are even really cool where you unlock more as the, as the region prospers. The your, card your play decision. Yeah. Like. Each individual component maybe is done better in a different game. Like the card playing Gloomhaven's really good. Maybe Spirit Island's a hair better with a similar concept. The AI is well, I can't think of another game with a better co-op like movement AI, but the AI is really well done, but maybe we'll see a better AI in the future. The enemies are interesting, but you know, they could be more varied and, and interesting. The leveling's really cool, but it's you know it's stuff it's kind of stuff we've seen before in a lot of video games. But as a whole, together, I want to keep exploring this box of goodies that it gives us. Well, the promise of a game like Gloomhaven is that there's like hundreds of hours of gameplay when you open this massive box. It's like a toy and, box for yeah. people who love RPGs. But, but the fact that it's actually delivered that for us is astounding. Yeah. Like, we've played... How many hours have we played this? I think I've played it 26 or 27 times, and that's about two hours each, maybe? Yeah. Like, 50 hours, and... We're what? We're not ready 25% of the way through the game, maybe? Yeah, maybe 25% through the box, but even more impressive, we're not ready to stop. No, I want to unlock new characters. We just unlocked a a character that I'm dying to play. I want to retire my current one because it's almost maxed out and play this new one and explore all all that good stuff. I want to see new enemies and bosses. I want to see what... I've been playing a character, the same character, since we opened this box. 
I love my character. The character's great. It's awesome. I love the story. I love how he plays every mission. You love destroying obstacles and causing them. I love making and just blowing obstacles up. I like blowing up the enemy's heads. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But like. You literally blow their minds. I don't know when my. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know when my beloved Stanley will retire. But, like, I can't wait for him to retire so I can play something else. But I love him as he is, and I want to play f- ten more missions as Stanley. Yeah. I mean, it just does what it does really well. And it gives you a whole giant box of goodies that you want to unlock. And it unlocks things that are really satisfying pace. That's the article. I don't know if you guys read the article I wrote about the Skinner box. Yeah. But the way it unlocks things and always gives you something to work forward and look forward to is is so satisfying this might be the closest thing to a video game in board game form of any game i've ever played yeah for many of the reasons that you just described one thing that i realized is there are things in this game that i've completely ignored like for example i see this awesome looking sheet of mini stickers oh yeah you can upgrade your um sports slight spoilers yeah you can upgrade your cards It's, it's in the rule book Oh, is it? Yeah. You can oh, yeah, upgrade yeah. your cards to make them better. Like the core mechanic of you playing cards. You can put a sticker on a card to make it permanently better. We as a group ignored that for about half of the time we played it. Well, to be fair, it's which, very expensive. And, and, it's expensive. <laughs> and there's an achievement to unlock it. You have to do... I forget what. You have to do something. Yeah, but by but the still, time yeah, yeah. I became conscious of it, yeah. I realized, oh, I could have done that like... Two months ago. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the experience I have in a video game where if it's an expansive video game that I love and I've worked out three-fourths of the systems, but then, you know, on my 10th playthrough, I'm like, oh, I'm going to figure out this other mini system that I haven't done. Mm -hmm. Like, this this is the game that creates that experience in a tabletop game more than anything I've ever, Yeah, you know. And again, maybe a theme of this, this, episode is that it creates stories and i talked about this in my in my first impression like the story overall hasn't gripped me a ton the the stories that are interesting to me are the individual character stories like the way my character my little rat guy has developed where he started off and like i could go a couple of different ways you know maybe more summons or maybe like really sneaky but now he's like this glass cannon dps like come out of the shadows and stab people assassin type character like i have this like cloak that that makes me really hard to see and these shoes that help me jump out of corners and i've got like a dagger in one hand and this cool looking sword in the other hand i've got all these little potions i'm carrying around like yeah and you know in creating those stories it's a cooperative game but it gives you with just enough individual incentives yes that there's intrigue and so like as york particularly as your little rat has progressed like it's been fun as another character to be like hey get on you know get on the same page we're in this as a team here but like you're obviously you have reasonable personal incentives yeah because they give you a little goal each scenario to go for different yeah so, like, your your story 
from you playing it is awesome, but from my perspective as another character, your story is awesome. It's just a big box of goodies, like all kinds of stuff that you want to explore and look at and discover and unlock. And the gameplay is so well done. Like, yeah. without a doubt, the best dungeon crawler game I've ever it seen or played. Down. In terms of, like, strategy and interesting decisions and all that good game stuff. The only problem so, so is people, that it takes over your table like this because it'll yeah. take me 20 or 30 minutes to clean this up and I even have an insert. Like it's, the, the biggest problem with the game is you have too much of stuff. Yeah. Too much goodness to put it away. Yeah. Like that's, that's a pretty good downside. Sometimes the, the phrase like X killer gets thrown around. For me, this is the game that kills every other dungeon crawler. It kills Descent, for sure. More so than any other game that I've played, this is the game. I, I, I guess it's on par with Resistance in that sense, of it just redefines a genre. Yeah, I think so. And apparently there's an expansion that's going to come out next year, maybe? There's going to add a bunch of cool stuff to it, so... We're we gotta, not even done with this game. We gotta beat it by then. Yeah. Yeah. That's Gloomhaven, my favorite game at the moment. And I, I'm going to be honest, I can totally see, you know, after we're done with this, after we're done with the whole campaign, maybe it falls back down a hair. But right now, I'm in love with it. That's our list, folks. That wow. is my top 100 games of all time. Wow. I think a fitting champion was reached. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. you guys, I think you guys would be a little bit surprised, but not in disagreement was my expectation. Yeah, surprised, but not hugely so. That was a solid 20 games. Nice. I didn't, yeah, you guys I didn't, didn't really... Well, I mean, there's a couple of quibbles here and there, but you guys all love most of these games. I think these are 20 fantastic games. Yes. War of the Ring is definitely the one that I really would push we, the most out of the top 20. And that's but, only because of its relation to Rebellion. It's not that you think War of the Ring is bad. I think they're both like 30 to 40 range. Okay. 30s probably but in okay. any case these were 20 excellent excellent games thank you matt so, i really appreciate that you're not so usually the my antagonist in these things i yeah i like to antagonize not because i like to antagonize but because it's the correct response to most of your opinions <laughs> you like <laughs> to antagonize a little bit you cannot deny it I see the smile creep on your face when I know you're going to say something contrary. So if any of you guys watching or listening have not played any of these games, I highly recommend it. You know, maybe if you don't like big, heavy games, you won't like some of them. But, you know, expand your horizons a little. These are the cream of the crop, the best games ever made. I And I can't wait to, to keep playing more games and have more games jump onto this list. We had six brand new ones that were not in consideration yeah, last yeah, year at all yeah. we played some you know, amazing new games in 2017 and i think we also have to just appreciate having both gloomhaven and spirit island come out in the same like two months yeah is I mean, for us the, I, I got in the second okay. printing of gloomhaven sure. but in the same calendar year yeah but just to have two you know, in this case, top five games of all time that are both co-op games come out together and get to play them a bunch in the last, I don't know, eight, six, eight months. Yeah. It's been a good time to be a board gamer. Especially if somebody likes co-ops. Like, this yeah. list, the top ten, I have Space Alert, Spirit Island, and Gloomhaven, which, personally, I think d creating a co-op game 
feels to me a lot more difficult than a competitive game. So those three in particular, like I'm, I'm really incredibly appreciative of those designs because of how much joy they bring us as, you know, working together, which is a really fun thing to do. Yeah. None of us have like lovey-dovey personalities. The fact that there are, it's not that they're co-op games, games yeah. propped up by being a co-op game and we're like, oh, we get to win together. Hooray. Yeah. They're actually great, like in-depth, strategic, satisfying games yeah. to play. And they're they co-ops. draw people together yeah. and, and, and give you a, you know, a shared victory experience. Oh, I forgot Mage Knight. That's basically a co-op game. It can be both, oh, okay. but we only play at co-op. Oh, yeah. Mage Knight. So 40% <laughs> of your top 10 is co-op. And one's a, one's a team v. team game. Resistance. Oh, yeah. 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 I think that's our list. I yeah. want to keep talking about these great games, but the podcast has already run a long time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to check out the thoughtfulgamer.com for all the reviews. I have reviewed most of this top 20. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes to help us out there. Check me out on social media, on Twitter, and on Facebook. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to watch us podcast on all of our major podcasts, this one's been live streamed for the public, but all of our major ones every other week. If you want that experience along with all kinds of other goodies and bonuses, go to patreon.com slash the thoughtful gamer. And we would really appreciate any financial support you could give there. I love it every time. We had a new patron last week, I believe, and it, it was awesome. I love it. It's a celebration every time. Exactly. I messaged everyone in in uh, in the friend group. and like, yes, we got another person. So thank you, everyone who is helping us out, helping cover the cost for the podcast and for the website. That's the top 100. 100. We'll do it again next year. It was fun this year. It was fun last year. Next year, we'll make it even better somehow. Yeah. We'll do 200. Who knows? <laughs> the, the amount of panic on your face just then was was totally worth it. We will set a timer for exactly 60 seconds for each game. Yeah. No, I would never do 200. That's insane. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>